0: I don't know if this is an abnormal amount of body um, moisture. <laughs> is that normal? It seems normal. No, well. no you're,
1: you're abnormal. Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Am I Missing, the podcast where I attempt to fill in the gaps of my knowledge through conversations with friends. I'm your host, Brett Walden, and today I'm talking to Lawrence Collins about hobby gaming. Now, this one to me feels very similar to the episode with Sam Hammersley about um, Nerdcore in that I didn't know that this even existed until I met Lawrence at his house one day and I saw that he had an entire floor dedicated to keeping all of the board games that he owns um, shelves upon shelves, and I knew immediately that this is something that I wanted to know more about, so when I developed the podcast, of course... Uh, Lawrence was a natural to come in and talk to us about it. Hopefully you find it as interesting as I did, and uh, you might even find a new hobby out of it by the end. Please rate and review the show on iTunes, and if you have any fun facts or anecdotes, or if you just want to roast me in your comments, type them up, give me five stars, and I'll read the funniest or most interesting ones out loud on a future episode. And as always, there's a sneak preview of episode 11 coming out next Monday at the very end of the show. But enough preamble. Let's roll the dice and get bored with Lawrence Collins. Take it away, Anthony. All right, so you ready to get started? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get started. Uh, so welcome, um, everybody. We are in the studio here. I'm sitting here with a good friend of mine, Lawrence. Yep. Uh, Lawrence Collins, and you are a lawyer? Yes. Yes. You have law in your name, so that works out. It's true. It's very clever. Yep. Um, so you were kind of destined to do that but we're not here to talk about law
0: i think i was actually were you really well uh, my dad's a lawyer mhm and so uh coming up um everything was a cross examination and a really And a logic puzzle so so do you think because he was a lawyer do you think he deliberately
1: put the word law in your name
0: no because his father's name was Lawrence oh who uh, wasn't a lawyer who was not a lawyer was, oh okay yeah so you're just kind of following in the footsteps well, my, my parents were lazy and named me after both grandparents. Grand- grandfathers, <laughs> I just, both grandfathers. I,
1: I mean, in terms of you being a lawyer. Oh, yeah, yeah. W- was that sort of predetermined for you, or were you pressured I to think kind of...
0: when you're raised by a lawyer, uh, mm-hmm. and your interaction with them is very much based on um, the sort of things lawyers do, as far as how to answer questions and how not to avoid questions. And you just tend to... Your mentality tends to... Steer you towards logical reasoning and legal right,
1: so that just you just kind of were bred from an early age to, to yeah to sort, sort of, of right. live in that kind environment. of environment environment, and I don't know if there's a genetic component to being a lawyer, but do you think if you had a child that they would become a lawyer as well? Would you treat them? The I same? would hope not. Would you raise a child the same way that you were raised? Do you think?
0: Probably, I think my parents <laughs> I think they did a good job. Uh, yeah, I like uh, at least my exposure to other people and their parents and their interaction, I think. Yeah. My parents did a good job. That's good. My dad's a truck driver. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and you drive. And I drive. So? He would talk to me like a driver.
0: <laughs> like a truck driver? Yeah. How does that go?
1: Uh, Barely at all.
0: Yeah, hand me that cup of coffee.
1: My dad wasn't around a lot.
0: Are we getting... <laughs> All right.
1: Which is, I think, why I'm an actor and an improviser, not I feel uncomfortable a successful right lawyer. I feel That's un- okay. We haven't even started yet. So we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about um, games, board yeah. games, right? Board games. Yep. So um, I, I had you here because um, I, I need you to sort of check some of my work. Okay. I'm going to teach you about board games here. Oh, um, I see. And then, uh, you know, if I happen to get anything wrong, which is unlikely, then Mm -hmm. you can sort of correct me or expound upon what you feel that I need to know. Um, So, uh, obviously, uh, board games have been around since caveman times. Everyone knows that. Um, The very first sort of caveman game uh, was a version of Sorry, Um, (laughs) but not the kind that that, that we're used to. Um, It was mostly they would hit each other. Over the head with clubs, and then apologize for it. Oh, I <laughs> looked up something really quick. Until one person, um, until one person either passed out or died, um, and then whoever remained standing was the winner. Um, and really, from that games, board games didn't exist until about the 1930s. Yeah. Um, when Milton Bradley. Uh, Invent- Mil- Milton and Bradley. Milton Bradley, the, the man, the one man. That's not two people? Invent No, 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 no. Um, you're thinking of Bradley Milton. Um, invented Monopoly as a way to um, ironically, uh, you know, laugh at the poor people during the Great Depression. Yep. Give them a sense of owning property when he knew that they could have none. Um, and it's just sort of been on an upward swing ever since then. Mm-hmm. And. hmm Leads us to our present day when the only three games in existence are Monopoly, Parcheesi, and Life, mm. which which was in a legal battle a couple of years ago with the cereal and <laughs> won. Yeah. So how did I do? Does Mikey play Life? He loves it. He loves it. Yeah.
0: He only likes the cereal, but he loves the game. You were close. Okay. On um, which parts? Um... I think Milton Bradley actually makes games. Okay, <laughs> so I got that part. You were good at that. Okay, <clears throat> so when when you first mentioned the history of of board games, I did a quick look up because I was familiar with the Royal Game of Ur, which is one of the earlier games that I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. So I did the Wikipedia, and this is a this is a game. They did excavations. Look at this: 1922, 1934, in a royal cemetery cemetery at Ur, which I think is in Mesopotamia somewhere. And found this, um, yeah, look, it mentions Marduk, which is a Babylonian um, god, hero. Uh, And uh, there's a picture of it, if any of your listeners look it up, Royal Game of Ur. Basically, board games have existed for as long as uh, we've done excavations of civilizations. So ancient Uh Chinese had board games, uh, the Persians had board games. Chess, um, I think it was invented in India and then transmitted through the Persians to the Europeans. Um, they've been a long, around a long time, long time. As long as there has been leisure, there have been board games. I see. Right. So probably, if I'm guessing, it's uh, since the agricultural age. Since 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 after we be, since
1: we stopped becoming stop becoming. What am I doing? I don't know. Since we stopped being hunter gatherers and started, I would guess that would, settling down. Yeah,
0: when you don't have to spend most of your hours um, looking for food. You have time to throw some dice when you're
1: not looking over your shoulder constantly for, for saber tooth tigers, Smilodons, yeah, um, which are essentially the same thing. Same thing. It just mine sounds more educated. That's fair. Um, so your nights get long when mm-hmm. you're not constantly looking for danger, and you need something to do. You're like, what are you doing? I don't know. So is that the is that the draw for you then, as somebody who um, who collects right. games? How did you get into it? yourself like what 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 was it what was it that drew you to to board games and and this desire
0: to to collect them um there's probably two different questions or two different answers Mm -hmm. my first I think my first board game was chess when I was little I was in and I know I'm gonna get tons of fan letters from the ladies I was in the chess club (laughs) yeah when I was when I was a kid in elementary school, and um, uh, we had, at home, a chess board. We had a backgammon set, mm-hmm. because uh, my mother's from Iran, and everybody from Iran has a backgammon set in their house. Love backgammon. It's a great game. And so, chess was the first one, um, and I, I think I played those the games that kids play when you're little, you know, sorry, and right. life, and... What was it? Caveman game. Yeah. Um, Battleship. I had those when I was little. Yeah. Right? Stratego, I think I had. Yeah. I either had or my friends had. Um, but the first game I remember um, that I would consider a hobby game. Mm. And by that, I mean those games that most people aren't aware of. Hobby games. Everybody's aware of the the big Milton Bradley things. Right. Um, Monopoly, which are, for the most part, terrible games. Okay. Interesting, hot take. But the hobby games um, probably started with war games, which are military simulations, uh, simulations of military events, past historical events, the Battle of Waterloo, um, uh, the Battle of the Bulge, whatever whatever battles you're familiar with from history when you were growing up, right? You know, as a kid, the Battle of the Network Stars, Mm -hmm. that one so the I was probably ten years old when my father for Christmas I might be making that up I don't know well Christmas is a holiday it's very no it, you're just asking me like I know oh okay, yeah, got me a game called Panzer Blitz, which was uh which was um the the battle between the Germans and the Russians, the Eastern Front during World War II. hmm Okay. And so you have a map board and you've got German units, various different types of tanks and, and infantry units. And anyway, it's a military simulation, and my father played that with me, and that was my first war game, which is a subsection of board games, right? And separate.
1: So is that sort of I, I that's mean, what I first got
0: into. From a, from a
1: layman's point of view, then mm-hmm. I, I suppose the first game that comes to my mind is the classic risk right is that does that fall into that subsection or is that sort of the well uh i would say n- the simplest
0: no you can say no <laughs> i don't want to make you feel feel bad
1: make me feel bad that's the point
0: risk is a very popular game yes um i don't think i would call it a war game it's a board game okay uh, but that involves the theme is war right right i'm
1: being provocative on purpose
0: oh i see yeah no um risk is a fun game for Kids, okay. (laughs) I'm trying not to sound condescending about Lawrence. Yeah, your your voice your voice
1: drips with condescension. There's nothing that we can do about it. I played
0: I played Risk when I was younger. Right, it was a lot of fun. It's a it's a simple game.
1: So what's I mean? Okay, so so uh, again, what is the difference then between if that's a a
0: board game that that sort of uh, deals in war versus? war games, I think, are probably more properly defined as um being having simulation as a much stronger part of the game design mm. um, in the sense that like risk is is literally just moving pieces around risk is risk has no connection to any actual historical event right right and and uh the soldiers are just soldiers, and the cannons are cannons and so but if you're talking about a war game. Usually, the what's driving the design of the war game is, um, at least to some degree, a simulation of actual historical events. So, if, if it's the Battle of Waterloo, you, you're you going to have um, pieces that are representative of the French units that were actually on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. The um, Prussian units that were actually on the battlefield. The English units that are actually on the battlefield. And there will be differences... Between the units, based on some historical data, right, and and the and the more detailed it gets in simulation, mm-hmm. usually, the worse it is as a game, because oh, okay, because it gets bogged down in details. Well,
1: that's what I was gonna say. So, so when you start to get into these more historical games, right. the movements or the uh, abilities of the pieces or the, you know, uh, whatever it is, the cards or whatever, they're they're more couched in, like, this is what the French did. Right. Or this is what the English were capable of or not capable of. Um, yeah. And so you're limited within the game to that. Whereas in Risk, everybody is sort of capable of doing all of the same sure. stuff. Sure. And,
0: and uh, at the risk of getting into things that are really boring for your audience um, but are interesting to, to board gamers... Um, there's one game. Let me look it up. That has the and I actually have the game. It's based on the North African campaign. You know Rommel, mm-hmm. World War Two. I do. I do know that. Um, there's a game that gets so it it's it's famous for its basically unplayability. It is so detailed. Um, you have you have uh, and I think it's North African campaign or something like that. I'm having no success looking it up. But the the historical details go down to the tiny like the the Italian units need more water because their rations are pasta and so they have to cook oh the God. pasta in bar <laughs> and wow and, and this game the rec the designers recommend that 10 people sort of as a as a as a team play this game and to keep track of all the minutia and the long and the short of it is nobody plays it sure.
1: You may as well just read about the actual battle at that point. Yeah,
0: and and a lot of a lot of the people play military war games because they're fascinated with the history. Um, Civil War, American Civil War, or World War Two are probably the two of the most common. Um, and Napoleonic era is very fascinating. People, is it the history though that they're interested in, or is it the strategy? Because it seems to me that
1: somebody who would be interested, because my for some reason in my brain, my first thought goes. Well, if you're going to play a game based on an actual simulation of a battle, then wouldn't you want the outcome to be the same as the actual battle?
0: I think if I, and this is conjecture, but I think um, it helps you understand what happened. Uh huh. Waterloo, for example, if you, if there's a simulation that puts all the pieces out on the field. Right, you're overlooking the, that plane in Belgium, and um, you understand what troops you have as Napoleon, what troops may be coming around the corner uh, from the Prussians, what troops Wellington has on the field. Mm-hmm. And understand if you understand the possibilities through the simulation, if it's accurate enough, then you can get a better appreciation for what actually happened. Oh, okay, that was an amazing thing. That happened because of these resources available in one accident. And that choice was the wrong choice. That choice was the right choice. You know, go back to Battle of Gettysburg, pick its charge. You know, what would happen if I didn't do that? Right.
1: So in, in a sense, it, it almost, it makes you, one, appreciate sort of what what did happen historically. Yeah, you're, you're immersing yourself in a simulation. Right. But you also have the ability to sort of stroke your own ego
0: and feel like you're smarter than Very Napoleon. much so. Yeah. Stroking ego is a big part of all board gaming Yeah, um, for for kids who may not have been good at sports. <laughs> good. That was a good revelation that we just had. I'm not saying I wasn't good at sports. Were you? I played soccer in high school, and um, uh, what I lacked in skill I made up for in aggression. Mm-hmm. It may come as a surprise to you. Always a good
1: always a good characteristic in a high school boy yeah um, so so your dad
0: brings in this this war simulation game yes you play it with him yeah and he beats me routinely right I want to play the Germans we're not gonna get into why that may be the case mm-hmm. he regularly plays the Russians and I learned um, two things one the Russian armor was probably superior uh, on a, on a strategic level right Um. You know, Tiger, Tiger Tank certainly packs more punch, but when you're talking about numbers of units and the T 34 85s. Sure. So there are lessons to be learned in these types yeah, of games. Yeah, you're going to learn those lessons if you play them. Now, if you have no interest in a particular historical area, then avoid war games. Right. Board games are a lot simpler in that regard, mm-hmm. um, and in some other regards, more complex. Interesting. If you're talking about Euros versus Ameritrash, we can talk about those things if you want. I don't. What does that mean? You don't know what that means. All right. So you have war games, which are historical simulations we've talked about. Yes. And there are many, many any, Any conflict in human history that you could probably think of, there's probably a box somewhere with a, a war game inside it that's linked to it. But then you have board games... Which are not necessarily linked to any historical military battle, and um, a lot more accessible. And the subject of board games spans anything you can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, I have board game. Well, a uh, Settlers of Catan, which is a significant board game as far as the development of the hobby. And that's be- a
1: very that's a very popular one, right? Yeah, I feel. I, and the only
0: reason I think that is because I've heard of it because you've heard of it. Yes, right. Yeah, Settlers of Catan is very popular. Um, and what makes that one so popular? I don't know if it was the first of the Euro. When I say Euro, um, w- when people in board games talk about Euros, what they're talking about are the style of games that the Germans came up with. Okay, I'm uh, sensing a theme here. Uh. Well. Yeah. So 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 interestingly, the Germans. Um, their their board game design steered away from the military conflicts. Oh, I wonder why I don't know why right. there might be reasons <laughs> they, for that. Maybe they want to forget some things. Um, but yeah, that, that's certainly part. Let me see if I can do a quick look up on um, settlers because I'm the designers escaping my. What is this website that you're looking at right now? Okay, this is a significant if, if you have any interest in board games, you will need to become familiar with boardgamegeek.com board game geek. Dot com referred to in the hobby as BGG, mm-hmm. and um, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cool. I I admit it's not cool, but we don't care. Anyway, Board Game Geek has is just this vast database of board games, war games. Uh, they also have uh, role playing games, etc. And a different portion of it, and anyway, if you if you go look at BoardGameGeek.com, the the first page will. It looks confusing. Uh, it takes a while to get used to it, and I probably only utilize ten percent of its capabilities. But just about every game that's ever been published is on there, including mainstream ones. In, uh, uh probably. Let me see. You've
1: never looked. You've never give me a to.
0: give me a mainstream game.
1: Um, uh, uh, shoot! It's just life. Life. <laughs> Everybody played Life
0: at some point. cube The Game of Life. It's on there. 1960. <clears throat> All right, so I click on the Game of Life. It's got a very low rating. Yeah, okay. 4.2. Um, out of 100. Out of 10, I will say that uh, anything below a 7, I'm very unlikely to buy or play. Okay. These are ratings done by by uh, the community. If you look here, it's got eight thousand ratings, two thousand yeah. comments. I'm guessing most of them are bad comments. Why would you go out of your way just to comment on
1: something negatively?
0: Because, well, <laughs> that's that's the internet, right? I guess. Uh, and you you want to make sure people don't spend money if they don't have to. On,
1: uh, I assume though, if you're on BGG, right? Then you probably already know not to do it. Some some grandmas not buying gifts for her.
0: Yeah, let me go see my grandkids. Well, my let me BGG go see
1: account. Let me go see what hardcore gamers are saying about this life. Yeah, so that's uh, been around since before I was a child.
0: Uh, let's look up Monopoly. Now, keep in mind, Monopoly was not supposed to be an enjoyable game when it was originally developed. Oh, good. Well, mission accomplished. Nineteen thirty-three. Uh, other uh, trivia about Monopoly is most people don't play it correctly. Um, How are you supposed to play it? What do we do wrong? There's a bidding.
1: There's a oh, bidding Oh, yes, thing. I've heard
0: that. And most people don't. And it's in the rules. It's just nobody reads the
1: rules. Right. Isn't it, if 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 you land on something and you don't b- purchase it. It goes up it for goes bid. It goes up
0: for bid. Correct. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's monotonous.
0: 1933. So if you look at uh, BGG entry, it shows the game and, and to- usually tells you the designer. Mm-hmm. Um. And also Monopoly has a very low rating.
1: 4. 4. 1930s, though, I was correct about that. You
0: are, You get a full point.
1: Smack dab for in the, that. In the middle yeah, of the, the Depression. D-
0: the purpose of Monopoly was to demonstrate the evils of capitalism. Mm-hmm. We might not need a game for that. You can just turn on your television. Boom. Boom. Political commentary. Boom. Uh, yeah, Charles, so it's all on there. Charles Darrow. Darrow. Not Darwin. Oh.
1: So, Boom. anyway, we were talking about settlers.
0: Settlers of Catan. Yeah. They've got, all oh, so many editions. 15th anniversary wooden edition. Um, and Settlers of Catan, when was it? Klaus, Klaus Tuba. It's a very German-sounding name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Has a 7.4 rating. Yeah, this is for this particular wooden anniversary edition. Right. Which I'm sure is a lot of money. You probably can't get any more. So 15th anniversary edition, when did that come out? I don't know. But I, I feel it was in the '80s when Katame came out. I might have just made that up. And this is—are you
1: sort of saying that this is kind of one of the first, like, games that are that are that are coming out that are sort of. I don't know. How would you
0: would you describe it as indie? What, what what are we talking about here? What's the language that we're using? Euro is the word that I'm using, and it's a German style board game. Look, I looked it up on Wikipedia. Settlers of Catan became one of the first German style board games to achieve popularity outside of Europe. As of 2015, more than 22 million copies. Okay, which means out of seven plus billion people. Not a lot of people have have the game, (laughs) but still that's a huge amount uh, for a game. And so when, when we say Euro German style board game, um, whereas war games focused on direct conflict between players Mm -hmm. because it was a military simulation, Euros tend to be, um, sort of like mental puzzles and, um, they have mechanics. The proper word may be mechanisms, but in the hobby we say mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, tend to be uh, you're you're constructing sort of a, a a machine puzzle, and your object is to build a better one than your opponents. And 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 oftentimes there's not direct player conflict. Right in the game. Right. You're just trying to. To figure it out better than you're not. You're played. not
1: trying to intermittently destroy or or challenge what they're doing. It's just right. you're sort
0: of. So settlers of Catan. If nobody's played, you're, you're trying. You've got the players are on this island. There's various resources that you can gather from the various hexes on the island: wood and sheep and stone and uh, clay and wheat. Mm-hmm. and you're trying to build your little towns and you're trying to link them with roads and you're trying to build them into cities you're trying to settle the land settle settle Catan yeah it's right there in the which north. is not a real place but it is in our hearts <laughs> so what what
1: makes this but what, why why is this so popular then What 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 is it about this one versus available I think it's a lot more else is approachable
0: for, okay so I go to gaming conventions right mm-hmm. and um the war gamers usually have, there's a, there's a different area where the war gamers are. And, uh, you can tell because you're walking through the area and there's a bunch of older men, middle-aged plus, um, arguing over which, uh, ammo cans the Germans used versus the Italians. And they, they just, they're in their fun and nobody else thinks it's fun. Right. Um, Whereas in the Euro section, you have a much larger variety. It's much more approachable. Um, the subject matters are, are usually not that significant for the gameplay, and they're easier games to play, and in many ways, more fun games to play. Right. A lot more... A, a war game will typically have a huge rule book. Mm-hmm. Like 10, 20, 30, 40 pages of rules. Right. You Where, have to know, and you have to know all of them y- going in. Yeah. yeah. Four point one point three, Ugh. you know, just join rest, the army. Resting yeah. Just, Whereas board games, the really good ones often have one page of rules. Right, simpler the better. Sure, I think uh, I think there's a game called Azul, which I've been playing with um, people who aren't gamers. Mm-hmm. A very simple game to learn but there's strategy to it and it's got nice pieces and um the the goal in that game is to is you're building a mosaic on a wall which is probably about as far from um being a tank commander on the eastern front (laughs) as you can get yeah you brought that one over a few weeks ago yeah uh what what did you think i thought it was a lot of fun
1: um and it was it, it, it was um Like you said, it was simple in the sense that if we had a question about something, we could stop and look at the rule as opposed to needing to know everything, you know, front loaded up top. Right. And uh, it was just very casual, but it was, it, it, it brought out the artist in me, but it was a strategy game. And I think that's what it does force you to still think ahead. Clearly
0: strategy to it. And, um, gamer, gamers would call that, consider that a gateway game. Mm Mm-hmm. Meaning it's a game that you can introduce to your friends that don't necessarily play games. Right. Or, or it's, you, it's a game you can play with people who really don't want to sit through a long explanation of rules. Right. Um, which we had a few of those. Sure. With us. Yeah. Adam being one of them. Yeah. He doesn't want episode. he doesn't want to sit through rules. He doesn't want to sit through most things. He really only played out of social obligation. That's true. I don't know how
1: much fun he had. <laughs> probably, probably none. But that's not to say that the game wasn't fun.
0: No, I think it's a fun game. Yeah. Uh, and if, if people are thinking about getting into the hobby, or at least trying something out, that's a game I'd say pick up. Yeah. Azul, A-Z-U-L. It came out last year. Uh, I think it got a, a Spiel des Jahres uh, nomination. I can't remember if it won or not. Is that the awards for, for games? Spiel des Jahres. It's Game of the Year in German. I don't know how my pronunciation was. Um, That—that's what threw me. <clears throat> yeah, and the Germans. I don't know, just the Germans generally. <laughs> Them as an entire ethnic group. They—they um, they do these nominations. There's a Game of the Year. Uh, I think there's Kennespiel des Jahres, which is uh, the heavier games, and there's family games. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I'm sure there's some star chamber that decides who gets it. I, I, I'm not that familiar with with the with the Nobel committee um, associated with it, um, but they nominate games, and then one wins. and And the significance of that every year is you can be pretty sure the sales of the winner are going to be gonna, significant. Yeah, they'll sell many, many more units than they would. Otherwise.
1: I feel like the Germans are hitting this game thing pretty hard. Yeah,
0: and I don't know if there's any ulterior motives, but... I don't know. Yeah, we've always been fun. Yes. I mean, so, so here's the thing that... N-
1: nothing to see here. Just go and play your games. Yeah, yeah.
0: Enjoy. Would you like some crumpets? <laughs> um, I don't even know what a crumpet is. It's British. So, yeah, because they were... He was, in my mind, he was trying to be... He was a spy in Britain. Oh, he'd worked out all of the cultural aspects. He just the accent. The accent was still there, and he was pushing board games.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. uh,
0: <laughs> He's not subtle. He's not
1: good. Uh, what was I going to say? We've never been good militaristically in Germany. <laughs> no, no, it's not a problem. We, are, we no, playing, nothing to speak about.
0: We are playing games here because our military history. Um, what was I? Gonna, I was I was going to say something. that was going to be really significant. It's Really poignant. It's going to be
1: the apex of the episode. Uh. Anyway, I'm sure. It will come so so but what okay, so so obviously we've got now these subsections of games, these subsets.
0: Well, I haven't told you about another subset. Well, that's what I'm asking about. How uh, many are there? Board games, board games. So cuz so so you've got generally in the hobby. Let let's expand the hobby out. Okay. To just general gaming geekdom. Video games we're not even going to talk about. Okay? Separate entirely separate species of animal. Within the tabletop gaming uh, genre, you've got role-playing games,
1: mm-hmm.
0: RPGs, RPGs, Dungeons and Dragons, and um, Pathfinder, and uh, uh, Champion. Any Champions, which is a game nobody's heard of anymore, but but any number of role-playing games in in a variety of settings where the players sit around and do cooperative storytelling. Mm-hmm. Okay non-competitive in 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 the tabletop board gaming sense. So we're, we're not going to talk about that. Separate that out. Okay. Then you've got war games, which you've already discussed. Mm-hmm. Board games, which we're in the middle of discussing. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say miniature games are a separate category altogether. Meaning we, what? Like they're in tiny boxes? <laughs> yeah. Very small games. No. <laughs> tabletop miniatures... Um, crosses into the war game um, field because that's where it started was in war games but instead of uh, a board with uh, little chits chits are these little cardboard pieces that are little squares representing units that usually do in a a war game they've got miniatures and probably this started with Napoleonics a long time ago talking about last century and when I say Napoleonics I'm talking about the simulation of the Napoleonic Wars um, which most of us n- realize has to do with Napoleon Bonaparte, oh. Emperor of the French. Um, so when it, we're talking about miniature games you're talking about in, in you have a you'll build a battlefield on a table with uh, flocking and trees and terrain, right? Wow? Yeah, little houses, really. Um, yeah, a church, a wall. And you'll have your troops. And they used to be made by hand. There's a video on YouTube somewhere of uh, Peter Cushing, maybe? Some English actor making his own. Um, And the first miniatures game was, I think, written by H.G. Wells. Let me go back and look that up that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when we're talking
1: miniatures we're talking the the it's, it's little miniature models of everything you're almost se- yes. setting are these are these long games then
0: yes um, miniatures is is intensive for two reasons one it takes a while to set up the game yeah but before you even get to set up the game you're talking about building your miniatures and painting your miniatures so the people that are into miniatures are very much focused on on, um, on the, the setting of the miniatures conflict. Mm
1: -hmm. So are, are the miniature players the ones that even the war people are kind of looking at and going like these weirdos, or is there a crossover?
0: There's a crossover, um, because a lot of the war gamers, um, are into Napoleonics where they have a, where they, where they lay out the little troops. You have your little soldiers. It's like playing soldiers. Right it's like it's exactly an like excuse soldiers. to play soldiers right <laughs> as an adult right. Uh, whereas most people might um, look at you oddly for playing with little soldiers when you're a full-grown man. right.: This you can say, well, it's a simulation of Battle of Gettysburg. yeah. Uh, I
1: have a 40 page booklet that gives me permission to do this.
0: right H.G. Wells, 1913: Little Wars is the name of the book, and uh, this is the full. It's a rule set for miniatures. Yeah. What is it? Read the whole title. Uh, <laughs> this, uh, all right. And, and it's probably significant, even for today. So uh, Little Wars, wh- where's the title? It's in bold there. A game for... Yeah, yeah. Little Wars, colon, a game for boys from 12 years of age to 150, and for that more intelligent sort of girl who likes boys' games and books. Oof. Oof, didn't age well. Yeah, HG, uh, you might want to talk to your <laughs> your PR guy about that one. But that's the first miniature game. That That is my, uh, uh, That's as far as I'm aware, that's the first published set of miniatures war games rules by HG Wells of Time, whatever, what was it? Time, what was it? Time, time Machine. Time Machine. What was it? Time Immemorial. What did he write? Something about a time machine,
1: right? Yeah, something about a time machine. You probably simplified it like the title of this. So, um, so in essence, the history of these miniature games are
0: for boys and for, for smart girls who think like boys. There's this sort of in, that, that very select group of girls who are smart enough to understand boys' games. <laughs>
1: Got it. Oh, boy. Do you see when you go to these conventions, are there a lot of
0: women um, represented? Uh, all right. So, I'm guessing your audience has a preconceived notion. And the preconceived notion is probably right. Uh-huh. Uh, so, for war games, we're talking about the military historical ones. My my observation is it's not my opinion; it's my observation mm-hmm. is that the I I don't recall ever seeing a female person playing right in, in those halls with the war gamers. They're all old, crusty dudes, <laughs> right? Do you think that's due
1: to the the, the the type of game, or do you think it's due to the the culture that surrounds it? I
0: well, in your opinion. I think, and and is was it called Gamergate? Do you, there yeah. was some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, oh, we gotta, we gotta. The, you don't want to get in. We well, gotta get ugly, man. There is. I think it's fair to say that um, misogyny is a problem in the war game and in the miniatures game hobby. Mm-hmm. Much less so for board games. Board games is. Uh, I went to Dice Tower Con is a convention in Orlando. It's every year. It's usually around the 4th of July. And um, a lot of people go and play games. And when I was there this last July, I would say about 30% of the attendees were female. Okay. About 30%. Um, Why don't females play war games? I'm assuming it has to do with culture and how... We have historically raised females in our culture. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a good thing, but I, I think it just happens to be the way it was. And hopefully that will change. Um, when I played miniatures games, and I, I played them less than I used to, vast majority were male. Yeah. Um, and and the, the culture in miniatures games tends to be more competitive. Um, in, and I say that in a negative way, not in a positive way. More, there's probably more cheating in miniatures games. Oh, really? Yeah, because people get way too, for some reason, they get way too invested in their um, their little army men that they've made.
1: Well, and, I was I was gonna say I assume that because there is sort of a, there's an art before you even get to play, right? Which is, and it's almost like it almost seems like those miniatures and everything that you come in with are sort of a representation of the player itself. Or himself or herself. They invested their ego in it. That they're investing their ego in it, where it's like, because I right because aren't you like paint? Are you painting these miniatures yourself? I'm not, but but but, I mean people are are, right.
0: So so we can't really talk about miniatures games without talking about probably the biggest um, component of of miniatures gaming. Modern miniatures gaming in the last probably 20 years, I would guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is. uh, I just blanked on it. It's Games Workshop. And um, is it Warhammer? Is that what I'm... Did I just break on that? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. It's a British company, and they made this game... Uh, oh, now, now your thing's not working. They made a game called uh, Warhammer, mm-hmm. which was a fantasy setting. And then they made this game called Warhammer 40,000, which is referred to as Warhammer 40K. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so Warhammer 40,000 was was taking the, the fantasy setting, you know, traditional fan, Tolkien-esque fantasy setting, elves and dwarves and that sort, uh, and then moving it into the far fantastic future uh, where it, they had spaceships and space guns. Mm-hmm. Still fantasy, basically. Um, but, and that's the game that most, that a huge portion of the hobby played for many, many years. Um, I never got into it cause I thought it was a terrible game and it, it was extremely expensive because you had to buy a lot of miniatures to paint it. I right. mean, to, to play it. Um, so. And you gotta, I mean, I assume you have to come in with a pretty full set in order sure. to even compete. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you have to have your your army, all, uh, and it should be painted because what's the point of playing with miniatures if they're not painted? Um, and this particular game, Warhammer Forty K, uh, cool. you, you would <laughs> you would have hundred miniatures easily. I would I would walk in and, and see them setting up, and they would take forever to set up, um, and they would set them up in in little rows like uh, you know like they were in a Napoleonic army or even earlier than that, and I just never thought the game was fun. The game that got me back into miniature gaming um, was a game called Infinity out of Spain, and uh, Infinity was a what they call a skirmish level, and it's a science fiction setting, um, and by skirmish level, you have a, a, a fewer number of units you can play with 10 miniatures okay right yeah so it's it's uh the the investment's a lot less it's a very tactical game you have all you have all your terrain set up um and you're shooting machine guns and and things like that at each other and
1: so these things i mean if you want to become like a gamer you you are investing not only money but but a lot of time into this right
0: depending on what sort of gamer you want to be can you uh, well if you want to play if you want to play miniatures games yeah. yeah that's going to cost you more money right but if you just want to if you want to get into board games that's
1: so let's um let me ask you this i've been to your place mm-hmm. i've seen the shelves and shelves of games right. do you have a, an idea of just how many games you own
0: i i would guess uh, i have around 500 board games which is more than anybody needs <laughs> okay
1: and is that pretty average, though? No. No? Are you on the low end? I mean, in
0: terms of like gamers? No, I think that's an unnecessarily large amount. Of... You're, you're still on the high end, even? I think so. No, there are people that have thousands of games. Right. And I'm never going to get there, because I think I have too many already. I have a large number of games that I haven't even opened. Oh, really? Yeah. Still wrapped in the plastic? they are still wrapped in plastic, um, which I think is pretty probably bad from a psychological point of view (laughs) yeah it it, at that point it almost it's a compulsion yeah uh and do you have a
1: compulsion to buy games i did
0: i clearly did yeah and there's a and there's a there's a there's a um there's a a component of board gaming the board gaming culture that is significant and relatively recent and that is kickstarter you familiar with kickstarter yes i am all right, so Kickstarter contributed to the uh, what what we may call the golden age of board gaming, which is what we're in right now. Wow! If you didn't know it, I did not know that. If you didn't feel it in your okay. bones, so you had the and we haven't even talked about Ameritrash yet, but we, you had the the German style games,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which are very popular in Europe. Board gaming is more popular in Europe than it is here, right? As far as social acceptability and things like that, there's a certain stigma, I think, in America still about um, board gaming. In Europe, it's, it's much more popular and um, very much a family thing. And um, what was that? What was I talking about before then?
1: We were talking about your compulsion to buy games.
0: Oh yeah, and 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 then Kickstarter. So so um, the German style games popularity contributed to the burgeoning um, growth of the hobby, and then Kickstarter um, also contributed significantly. And for people who aren't familiar with Kickstarter, this is a a um, online uh, social funding website where you can essentially pre order something right pre-order a game so uh somebody will will set up a campaign and and they'll show you the game and and you give them money ahead of time and then if enough money they get they'll produce the game anyway so So you're
1: essentially you're helping fund the the creation of these of these games right right? and in doing so you you essentially buy it if it gets
0: if it gets funded and um when when it first started with kickstarter it was a way for people who didn't have access to traditional publishing right in other words, no publisher would publish their game um, to get money to publish a game. Yeah, and uh, and that's how it started. Now it's evolved into many board game companies use Kickstarter basically as a promotional tool um, to uh, sell new games they're coming up with, to sell deluxe copies, etc. And Kickstarter has just exploded with with how many uh, board game. Uh, campaigns they have, and and it's I think contributed to the popularity of uh, of the hobby. Yeah, uh-huh. and it uh, contributed to me spending too much money on Kickstarter. I was going to say, let's not get away from from the main issue here. Right, is your... I spend too much money on games. <laughs> I do. Do you, Do you still continue to? I've I have you... I can proudly say that I have no current Kickstarter campaigns that I am backing. Wow, good for you. Thank you. Would you say that you? I mean, do you still buy?
1: New games every I do. once in a while? I do. We have... What do, so you, what do you average?
0: Oh, one a week? No. A couple a month, probably. A couple... Four a month? I don't want to say. <laughs> That's just one a week. Uh, it depends. So, <laughs> we have... We live in Orlando. Uh-huh. Well, you live in Claremont. But... Okay. I live in... Not to put too fine a point <laughs> on no, it. That was pretty... Uh, and so, we have... Um, we have the benefit of having Cool Stuff Incorporated, which mm-hmm. is one of the larger uh, online board game companies mm-hmm. where they, they their sales are predominantly online. What's it called? Cool Stuff Incorporated. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool Stuff Incorporated. And, and I say that without irony because I think their stuff is cool. Uh, that's why you're here. Yeah, you don't say it
1: without irony. No, I say it with with dripping. T- total disdain. The, the disdain that you said, the word Claremont, I say yeah. for cool stuff.
0: No, Claremont is nice. Uh, if I retire someday, I might want to move here. Okay. Um, wow. And Cool Stuff It's the Rocky Mountains of Florida. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool Stuff is their, their main warehouse is in Maitland. And the benefit to board gamers is you can pay online prices and then pick them up locally. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a significant reduction of, of, of uh, the manufacturer's suggested retail price. The MSRP. hmm Yeah, uh, close to 30%. Wow. Lower. So it makes it harder for brick-and-mortar board game stores um, because they can't afford to sell at that price.
1: Right. But, but it makes it easier for someone like you to justify... Yeah, Spending money. and they
0: they have games on sale every day. And so I'll look at it. I'll go to Board Game Geek and say, get reviews. And they have video reviews. There's a whole culture of video reviews. On what? Huh? Board Game Geek? Ah, oh, BGG. A, BGG. There's cool. A, there's another website um, called Shut Up and Sit Down, uh-huh. which are some British fellas that um, talk about the hobby. And they, their reviews... Of games are probably the more approachable for normal people.
1: So, if you wanted to, if you wanted to start, like maybe collecting or playing games that are kind of outside the normal realm of what you would find at, like, a Target, that would be a resource to kind of go and sure. check out and and get people's yeah. opinions before you, yes, kind of dive in. Be-
0: because the people reviewing uh, "Shut Up and Sit Down," the people reviewing them, um, they look like normal people, yeah. And most of you are monsters. Well, m- many people in the hobby are socially awkward. Yeah, I'm getting that. Yeah.
1: Um, are
0: you? <laughs> I hope they're listening. I don't. I don't know. I don't know why that is. I, I'll admit to some social awkwardness myself. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it it it's a fact. It may be that someone who is socially awkward has an opportunity to to socialize through their intellect. Mm-hmm. And 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 board gaming provides that opportunity. Well, and there's also I think there I know
1: we we sort of shunted it off to the side, but there is that role playing aspect as well. You know, of, yep. of kind of getting to be someone else for a little bit. Sure. A few sure. weeks ago I got to be someone who put tile on walls.
0: How did you feel about that? It was a new it was a new life. And I think it's you're supposed to be in Portugal. So
1: I was a Portuguese tiler. So you got to travel. Yeah. Um I learned I learned some things, and I hold on to some of those lessons still. Um, so, are there games that you are drawn to as as someone who purchases them, or do you just kind of look at what other people are saying and you just buy the most popular ones? Or what? I know we haven't even talked about what did you call it,
0: Ameritrade? Ameritras, Yeah. So, uh, if you were to divide board games into two groups, uh, Euros being the German style games, which are very very mathy, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're, you're calculating points and, and and the themes you can be running a vineyard you could be um anything you could possibly think of they're making running a farm uh, agricola i think is is a classic example of that i'm gonna throw words out that mean nothing to anybody who's but you can always look them up on bgg and then you've got cool. ameritrash games which are uh i think it's a negative phrase ameritrash but i I don't know of any other that I think the Euro, the Europeans use that, use that phrase, mm-hmm. and these are more traditionally um, conflict oriented, of course, where you're smashing your opponent in the face with direct conflict. Milton Bradley came out with some games in the '80s. Um, Fortress America was one mm-hmm. that I played a lot. Uh, well, that's a classic Ameritrash game, I think. It's very much like Risk, but it's like uh, Risk up a couple notches. Yeah. So they're they're they're
1: sort of, they're more combative, but they're not, in, in the sense of like war games. I wouldn't
0: call them war games. Because they're not couched in history? Because they're not as, they're not as focused on simulation. Okay. Um, Fortress America, did you see... Like Crossfire. Are we talking about like Crossfire? Is that with the marbles? You'll get caught up in the, the no. ball bearings. No, that's a kid's game. Marbles is Hungry Hungry Hippos. Hungry Hungry Hippos, is that trash? I don't think so. Okay. I don't know what category we're going to call those, but I don't own either of them if that's a clue. Um. Do Do you remember Red Dawn? Did you see Red Dawn when you were little? The
1: movie? Yeah. Is that the one that takes place in Colorado? Yes. Yeah, never saw it.
0: Aren't you from Colorado, at least partially?
1: <laughs> <laughs> All of me is, is from there. I lived there for 18 years, yeah. I don't know if you're from Colorado or Nebraska. I was born in Omaha. Which is Nebraska. Which is Nebraska. Yeah. Lived there for three months, which I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Moved to Colorado, which I don't remember. Yeah. Group- you said
0: 18 years in Colorado you have no recollection of.
1: Well, I, I don't have recollection of moving at, as, as a 3 month oh, old Oh, I see, I see. You don't re- okay. My first memory was waking up in Colorado. With the majestic Rockies, describe that to my west.
0: It's just outside your window.
1: Um, it's a lot like a John Denver song. He was born in the summer of his.
0: I don't. I thought that was West Virginia. Third or Virginia. fourth year. Um, I thought it was more Appalachian. Well, no, that's West
1: Virginia country roads, but he's saying about Rocky Mountains all the time. Oh,
0: Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. That's about drug use. Yeah. No, it's about going into the into the damn mountains. How oh, was it? I don't know if it was Canadian or American Rockies. He says, that. Rocky Mountain High,
1: Colorado. He says it in the song. Oh, yeah.
0: Colorado.
1: Yeah, Colorado, yeah.
0: You say, you say that as if I'm saying Colorado incorrectly. That's how you know that somebody's not from there. If they say Colorado. I, I don't want anybody be, to be confused about the fact that I'm not from Colorado. It's subtle.
1: Listen, just listen. If somebody says, I'm from Colorado, they're not. Yeah, they're not. They're it's not. Colorado.
0: Colorado. Is that the native First Nations pronunciation of it? I believe so. I believe so. I don't know which which First Nations occupied Colorado before the <clears throat> The Pueblo European invasion. The Pueblo. Okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> so well, So so no, I've never seen Red Dawn, even though I, I am from Colorado. Uh, yeah, so Red Dawn, great Formative, is that the word, movie for a young conservative growing up in Ocala?
1: Mm-hmm. You're speaking of yourself,
0: of I'm course. i speaking of myself before the Republican Party became what it is today. Yes. Um, yes,
1: don't be turned off by Lawrence, listeners. He's... Are you still... Would you still consider yourself a Republican?
0: Are you... Well, Are I, you willing to step back if things change? I can't imagine them changing. I, I, I left the Republican Party in 2016. Oh, Um, so that I could vote for Bernie Sanders in the primary, if that gives you any idea of where I am Mm -hmm. nowadays. Um, I was always uh, in the Libertarian branch of the Republican Party when I was there. Mm -hmm. This was before Libertarians became 4chan racists. Right. Um, So, yeah, I'm a... I'm a Bernie supporter now. So you you kind of, based on your your game
1: experience and your politics and stuff, it sounds like you sort of tie yourself to groups that eventually become too bizarre to to, to take credit
0: for. Always flirting with disaster. You're
1: in it, and then you see who else is in it, and you go,
0: oh, that's... Time to go. Oh, God. That's not me. Time to leave. So, Red Dawn. Yep. Uh, Patrick Swayze, 80s movie. This is... (laughs) This is a great if you're if you're a, a modern conservative. Red Dawn's a great movie because it talks about the invasion of America, mm-hmm. and they just remade it. They did. They remade it terribly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we can t- talk about that later. But so the invasion of America back in the '80s movies, you had um, a southern invasion led, I think, by the Cubans. And then the Russians were invading. And I don't know who else was. Everybody was jumping on us. I don't why. Probably because they hate our freedom. Right. So so it's this fantasy about uh, American resistance fighting off these young, this group of young Americans, football players. Mm -hmm. Perfect, right? (laughs) These young American football (laughs) players fighting the Russian army and the Cuban army uh, in the in the mountains of Colorado. Right. Uh, because we live here, and it's glorious. And And Powers Booth was in it, and the Chinese were on our side in that movie. It was great. Just red-blooded, gets you... I, I can't remember which other kids were in it, but... Jennifer, what's her face before she had the nose job? Gray? Great. Yeah. Was she in Dirty Dancing? Yeah. Yeah. Before she had her nose job. Yeah. I don't know why she had a nose job, but I thought her face was fine. She lost she lost a lot of work because of that. Because of her nose? Because she changed her nose. Because she changed her face. Nobody 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 Completely recognized her after that. Yep. So Fortress America is that movie made into a board game. Okay. Deliberately? I think so. Um, well, it clearly was an inspiration, mm-hmm. um, but they've also—if you look at the cover from the game back in then, there's someone who looks remarkably like Saddam Hussein on the front cover. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> and uh, and so one player plays the Americans, uh, and the other player plays everybody else who's invading us, and it's just a, a fight for survival, a fight to the death. Right, and you love that game. I I played it a lot. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed, you know. Keep in mind, this is back in my my NRA um, libertarian days. I enjoyed the idea of of strapping uh, American partisans rising up to resist the alien invader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now we're best friends with them, with the Russians. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: It'd be a different game these days. It'd be a different game entirely um so what is it now uh you know obviously you enjoyed the game back then for those reasons what, uh, what what is it just in general you know if you had to sort of psychoanalyze yourself what why why games and not something else why not stick with the soccer or you know well uh, i'm
0: 50 uh-huh so okay it's harder to get my friends out to play soccer <laughs> okay and i don't know how well it would go really? i'm sure i would injure something if sure. i tried playing soccer now okay There's, yeah
1: if you want to play, I'm willing to give it a... You know, I'm not asking that. You
0: know what I'm asking. If I want to play soccer with you. <laughs> Finally, yes. It's taking um, an hour. But as far as as far as games, so what do I look for in a game now? <clears throat> yeah. I play board games now primarily to socialize with friends, mm-hmm. right? Which is how it's significantly different from video games. Um. And so I tend to look for games that one interests me, and two, I think will interest my friends, and will be. And I have I have different, different um, strata. That's the right word of friends. Different different groups of friends, some of whom are very much into games, and I can bring a, a crunchier, heavier euro to the game, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to the table. And um, uh, there's a game. That is is popular but rarely played because of how long it takes to play. Called Twilight Imperium, they just came out with a fourth edition after many years. It's published by Fantasy Flight, and I think it's I think it's the title that basically gave Fantasy Flight um, its legs as a publisher. Uh, that I may have just made that up, but that's I think that's correct. And this game is is um, Twilight Imperium is set in a futuristic space. Right, mm-hmm. and each player takes control of a different race and a different home planet, and you're um, building ships and you're building bases and you're building armies and you're using politics and you're and you're expanding throughout the galaxy, and you're eventually getting into a conflict with opposing players mm-hmm. and it's a fun game and it's great and it's epic and it takes about seven hours to play. yeah, gosh, it so sounds it's really. You might actually enjoy it. I know you're being. I know you're being you, but I think you might actually enjoy that game. You know how like the Phantom Menace was all about like trade wars
1: and not about anything that people love Star Wars I saw for. It once. I saw it once. There's a reason for that because yeah. it was like about like it's trade wars and Federation
0: that was politics. The, that and... was the first one, right? Phantom Menace was the first. Yeah, was number was episode one. Episode one. So I actually saw it one point three times. <laughs> how's that to be accurate because i saw it once in the theater mm-hmm. and came away the way most people would and um then years later i apparently had forgotten that experience and i thought you know what? i'm gonna watch this couldn't game. have been that bad well see this game. how bad did it be and i started watching it. it was just the it's the it's terrible yeah it's terrible and i've seen episode four many times and episode five of course many times sure but man, I just couldn't get through. Episode no, one. it's
1: it's it's bad. So not, not doable. Let's uh let's play a board game that that essentially is the.
0: There's a actually a fun board game I played um, called Star Wars Rebellion. I think that's also by Fantasy Flight. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if anybody is interested in 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 the power moves of Day as a publisher taking over the industry. Um, but this game, Star Wars Rebellion, is a two-player game. One player plays the rebellion. Mhm. And the other player plays what's it called? The not rebellion. Do you know Are you not a Star Wars fan? The Empire. The Empire. <laughs> um and were you quizzing me or you didn't? I was quizzing you. I knew. Okay. I know the symbols and everything. Okay. And I'm I am do not claim to be a Star Wars fan. Sure. I don't because I'm a Star Trek fan. Got it. Because that's actual science fiction. Um Well, if anybody's listening at this point. Right. So, but Star Wars Rebellion is a good game. One player plays each side, and, and the Rebels um, are trying to survive, basically, because they have their base, and the, the Empire is trying to locate the Rebel base, and you've got all these leaders. It's a fun game. You should give it a try.
1: Okay. Two player. Got it. All right. So, three more questions, and then we're going to wrap this up. Uh-huh. One, mm-hmm. um, have you, or are you currently developing any games of your own? Oh. You don't have to tell us what it is. So here's
0: the thing: anybody who's into board games, yeah, I think this is almost a universal rule. But it, a large percentage of people into board games have in their mind a board game that they want to make. Right? Sure. Some of them actually do it, but every so yes is the short answer to your question. There's there's a game that I'm that I'm thinking of, and I've I've even I I even got a binder right and some index cards that have sat in my room for months now, mm-hmm. <laughs> lacking attention. But yeah, just about every gamer has a game that they want to play that they don't think has been published yet. And so they start thinking, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this this setting, and I'm going to have this mechanic. And here's a, new, here's a new mechanic that nobody's used. And yeah, yes is the answer to your question. What,
1: is, what category, sub-question, what, is, what category does your, your particular game fall under? Uh, the current
0: ideation, is that a word? Sure, um, my my current concept would fall into the Ameritrash, okay. realm. but why, strong Euro strong Euro components, hmm. strong Euro components, sort of like but a, definitely conflicts like a Mid Atlantic type. Yeah, sure,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: <laughs> a Mid Atlantic sort of game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> why don't you come over and play a game with me? Yeah. Um, Okay, so question two. Yep. Um, for those who are still listening, if you haven't turned off everybody yes. yet, right? Um, congratulations on making it this far. Uh, what are you? You mentioned like sort of strata of friends mm-hmm. that you have. Um, so if we're assuming strata is sort of like low, mid, high sure. in terms of uh want and ability to play yep. difficult games. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what are some games that you would recommend that fall into each of those three strata like easy or like low level
0: entry level games. Right. If we wanted to look for like two or three. So we've mentioned Azul for a gateway game. Yep. Fairly simple game Mm -hmm. to learn. And it's fun. And the pieces are fun to play with. Can confirm. Um, uh, So there's a game that came out last year, Century Spice Road, Mm -hmm. which is also a very accessible game. Um, I thought did you play that? I don't know. I think you've brought it over, but I don't think we've ever it. It's very played simple. It. Century Spice Road and the players are uh trading spices and and, and acquiring properties. This is a pretty game and, and the pieces are nice to play with and it's a fairly simple rule set. I think a page and a half, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um Splendor used to be a game like that that was fairly simple and easy to play. Um The middle of the road, you start getting into, okay, there's a game called Five Tribes, which is uh, maybe uh, probably a step up in complexity, which is fun. Okay, Here's the thing with the hobby. There are games coming out all the time. Sure. Every month. It's like comics. um, And there are probably too many games, but obviously somebody's making money. So every, every time a new game comes out, the reviewers are talking about, will at some point decide whether or not it has... Replaced a prior game. For mm-hmm. example, when Century Spice Road came out, most reviewers said that's killed Splendor. I still, I still think Splendor is a fun game to play. You're you're collecting gems, um, and it's a pretty accessible game. Yeah. Um, but so that that's that issue. So Five Tribes is a, a middling game that's fun to play. He, there's so many, and and a more complex game. There's a, there's a designer, Vidal Lacerda that has very crunchy Euro-style games. Um, And uh, I'm trying to... to, Let me look it up real quick because the names are escaping me. When you put me under pressure... Well,
1: you're not going to like my third question, then. Oh, God. That's all it is. It's just nothing but pressure.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to look up Venus. I think that's one of his... Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's about uh, oh, doing a winery. Vidal Lacerda, Vinhos, 2010. and uh, it, I'm using BGG right now. So cool. His picture does not make you want to buy his games. But Lisboa came out 2017. Beautiful game. I haven't had a chance to play it yet because it's so complex that... <sighs> A lot of people don't want, wouldn't be interested in. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. Intelligence is a factor here. Can we just say that? You say it. Intelligence is a factor. Of course. Not everybody has the same level of intelligence. No. Some people are smarter than others. Yeah. That's just a fact. It's like
1: dumb girls, middling girls, intelligent girls. Right. Dumb boys. (laughs) (laughs) You
0: are lucky nobody can see what your hand is doing right now.
1: I think you can picture me
0: going from low to high tier on that. So, I, according to HG Wells, you, the listener, do for yourself an evaluation of your own intelligence, and it's all relative. and And understand this: there's a board game for you, mm-hmm. regardless. Yeah, and. And, and putting intelligence aside you may be you may be capable of understanding the rules to Lisboa or the rules to a game called like John company that I just played that has to do with a simulation of the British East India Company mm-hmm. India um, you may be smart enough to understand it but you may have no it may not hold any interest for you right right it you might, may, yeah you might not want to go through the mental calculations it takes to play the game yeah that might not uh, tickle your fancy. But just because you're not interested in something is
1: not indicative of your level of intelligence. Doesn't mean you're stupid. Right. Could. Might be an indication of your stupidity. Absolutely, probably a good indication. There, there are trends. We, the the <laughs> the graph that you fall on probably would point towards the dumb part mm-hmm, right? of the spectrum, but doesn't necessarily mean... Not a hard and fast rule. Right. Just a guideline. All... All squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. That's true, but most of them are.
0: <laughs> most rectangles are squares.
1: <laughs> Think about it. And if you didn't understand that analogy, then you're dumb. Do I have a board game for you? Then you. Um, so so obviously Liz Lisboa. Lizboa.
0: Liz- <laughs> and keep in mind BGG. Cool. Um, shut up and sit down. Uh, there's there's a. Uh, uh, um, a company that does a lot of videos reviewing games called Dice Tower. Um, and you can go on YouTube and just do Dice Tower. And uh, and there they are people who spend a lot of their time um, and effort trying to tell you what games you may be interested mm-hmm. in buying. And they have top 10 lists all the time. So if you're actually interested in the hobby, there's plenty of resources for you to access. Is the gaming
1: community pretty welcoming to new players? Yes. Are they really?
0: Especially if you're female. we need them please yeah of course yeah yeah um if i many of the people involved in the hobby um are, are are not the sort of people who grew up being exclusive right that makes sense. does that make sense absolutely
1: yeah so they're yeah they, they understand what it means to be excluded, so they want to be as welcoming as possible. Yeah, and
0: that may be a stereotype, but there's a reason for stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah, So, but mostly very nice people. Very cool. Some people with severe personality disorders, mm-hmm. but overall, very nice people. Cool. Um, so final question,
1: mm-hmm. and, and it is intended to put you on the spot. Is there a question that you wish that I would have asked or a topic that you wish we would have gotten to that you um, want to answer
0: or speak to before we leave? What kind of question is that? You're asking me to do your job for you, is yeah. what you're doing. At the end. Um, no, no. I think we could, I think,
1: what was the question? The question is, do you, wish, do you wish I would have asked you something so that you could talk about it? Or is there a fact? Is there a story? Is there something that you're like, there's no other way to get to this because you're not oh, asking about you,
0: it? You know what's interesting that you didn't talk about? What's that? That's interesting? Is board game cafes. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. So um, board game cafes are um, a fairly recent trend, which are, are places, businesses, where mm-hmm. which have a lot of board games, and that you can go and sit down with your friends and play the board games. And you may ask, uh, well, why don't I just go to my friend's house? Why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're going to ask? I was just about to. Why ask. don't I just go to my friend's house? Sure. And the answer to that is, I don't know. <laughs>
1: Maybe, no no maybe, good answer.
0: Maybe your friend, uh, maybe their house is not ready for guests. Maybe they you know, they didn't vacuum or clean up. Maybe they just don't want to hassle with yeah. bringing people over. They're antisocial. It
1: probably uh, smells anti-social. like
0: coffee. So board game cafes, and uh, one of the more prominent ones is a, a, a chain in Canada called Snakes and Lattes. Cool. No, um, but fun. And I went there uh, just a couple weeks ago in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And you you walk in and they've got it's a very welcoming atmosphere, and they've got uh, a full menu where you can eat food and drink. They've got a full bar, and they've got walls of games that you can just take down off the shelf. That's cool. And play with your friends. And if you don't know how to play the game, they've got people to show you how to play the game. Really? That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. And it's these types of games, right? It's, it's, yes, yeah. it's hobby games. That's awesome. Hobby games, definitely. Cool. Um, and Are there I, any in Orlando? That you I know? think there might not, not to that level, not that I've seen. Mm hmm. Um, Uh, there's the Cloak and Blaster, which I haven't been to, Mm. and that's out near UCF. I think that's what it's called. No idea. I'll go with you if you want. Okay. (laughs) Well, um, thank you for, uh,
1: for coming in and talking to us about this. It's my pleasure. Um, I know you always want to, you're always open to be, to play games.
0: Play games and to do podcasts. I will say that, um, of the number of friends that I have... Mm-hmm. that have their own podcasts some of, some of which have been doing them for a long time you're the first to ask me
1: am i really yes that's because i respect you Lawrence. i appreciate that i respect you and you make me feel smarter just by being <laughs> relatively around relatively speaking relatively speaking <laughs> <laughs> not because you yourself are intelligent and a rising tide raises all ships mm-hmm. because gosh you're just on the spectrum
0: <laughs> it's great it's a great and i appreciate it and i will always remember that um you, you extended this invitation.
1: No, I'm so happy. And if you're out there and you want to learn more about games, you know, uh, feel free to ask about it online. And like I said, Lawrence is always available. And wait, what? It sounds like he'll travel. So no. if you really want to play Lisboa, um, oh, yeah. call him over and he will set that up for you. All right. Yeah, I'd like to play. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for coming out, Lawrence. Thanks, Brett. Bye. What Am I Missing is edited, produced, and hosted by me, Brett Walden, with original music by Anthony Smith. Special thanks to Lawrence Collins, if for nothing else suffering through me using such language as Monopoly and Risk. If you would like to know more about me or listen to past episodes, you can find it all on my website, com/waim. If you have any questions, comments, or curses about anything you heard today, we have a community for that. Go to facebook.com slash Pod and let your voice be heard. Please make sure to rate us on whatever app you choose to listen to podcasts on and tell your friends about us, please. And here is a preview of next week's episode.
0: Yeah, but long story short, like, look, they're District 5, they play their first game against the Hawks, and they go in, and Brett, that's the team that Bombay was playing on. That's the team he used to play, and he walks in, and the whole... <laughs> The whole thing has, um, the whole rink has uh, all of their championships. And then going back years and years and years, they're all the exact same flag because they've won so many championships. Mm -hmm. And then there's one and it says 1973 in yellow. Second place.
1: Thanks for listening.